To avoid waking the king if he still slept, Ion opened the door to the bedchamber without knocking. There was no sign of movement from the bed, so he signaled to Lamian and Dionys to very quietly bring in the king's breakfast. Dionys opened the cross-legged stand. As Lamian bent to set the tray on top of it, the dish holding honeycomb slid forward just enough to knock the wooden bowl next to it. Deep beneath the covers, the king's eyes opened. He'd been dreaming, and now he was awake. Something was wrong, but he couldn't place it at first. He heard the attendants, heard the sound of the tray carrying his breakfast settling onto its stand, heard Ion, just as always, shushing Lamian. None of this was unusual, and yet something was out of the ordinary. He didn't know what it was. He stretched his arms and legs very cautiously. He felt fine. He felt fine. Jen thought he was going to get to stay home from school today, but God said no. Welcome back, Oracles. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to help you recover from Return of the Thief. It's July 3rd, 2022, and today we are discussing Chapter 5 of Part 2 of Return of the Thief. And this is Jen POV. Jen, point of view, Jen, point of view. We get a little tantalizing piece of it, which is in universe a decision that Ferris has made just sort of for the drama of it. And he feels confident writing from Jen's point of view in this moment, presumably because he talked to Jen about this. Got all those little margin notes. Minor detail from this scene. Jen throws up into a closed stool, which is what they had before they had water closets, which is what they had before they had indoor plumbing. So, no indoor plumbing in QT universe? We never definitely not see anything else. Okay, that makes sense. I don't know enough about the history of fountains and whatever, but they do have, like, pumps and city plumbing and outdoor fountains. I have no idea how, either in-universe or historically, that follows with indoor plumbing, but I don't know. Like, ancient Rome had fountains and indoor plumbing, actually, and all the rich people got lead poisoning from their lead pipes. True. At least we don't seem to have that going on. Yes. Well, that might explain Cleon. It says, um, oh, what, what does it say about Cleon in this chapter? That he's not one to let a bad idea pass him by. <laughs> yeah. There's an interesting bit with the brailing with Fordad, mm-hmm. where he gives this flowery speech about the replacement of the three crowns with the one crown of the High King, and it makes everyone uncomfortable, and... Ferris says that if there had not been such great affection between Edis and Sunus and Atolia and, and Eugenides, then it might have stirred ill will, and you have to wonder if that's his intent. Yeah, you know, I think that would make total sense. And he's he's making the speech in line with the court's new opinion after the trial. Uh, Ferris narrates that suddenly Eugenides' authority was supreme, and the Edesians couldn't be more respectful, and the Sunesians and Anatolians all followed suit, and everybody hangs on his every word. Which is so weird. I don't know, it's just weird to think of Jen being <laughs> After all this. And I mean, how long will it last? Like, 
I mean, Ferris even says, now, when we look back at this incident, people generally assume that the trial was faked. Yeah. But then they knew it was real and nobody doubted that this was a miracle. Mm-hmm. And, like, the more distance... And we've seen that before with just, like, people's personal encounters with the divine, that the more distance they have from it, the less real it seems. We get some love advice from Talaeus to Ferris in this chapter. And I wanted to ask you what you thought of it. Um, Talaeus says to Ferris, You love the king, he said. Warily, I agreed. I knew he did not. You love your brother. I'm sure your mother loves her brothers as well, the captain said. Someday you may not only love, but be in love. The object of your affections may be worthy of your love or not. May return your love or not. Remember, it does not make you a traitor if you love one. Why do you think this is in here? What do you what do you make of all this? I don't know that Ferris knows what to make of it either. He says, Ferris narrates, I mean, glimpsing something in the adult world that I would not fully understand for many years. And then he goes to point out that Relius took Talaeus's love poems with him. It feels like very specific advice. Yeah, it's... It is advice for a situation that Ferris is not in. Like he, he's, he's just saying one day when you're grown up, you may have to consider this. And, you know, so, so it's Talaeus projecting, I guess, but also... Maybe it's, maybe it's also about Gerudius, a little bit closer to home. He starts it with, you love your brother. So saying, loving a traitor doesn't make you one. You can still love your brother. I realized I would not have been so grieved by Gerudius's betrayal if I had not still loved him in spite of the pain he'd already caused. And, you know, Relius has been a traitor very publicly. The relationship between Relius and Talaeus is clearly very complicated. And we don't at the end of the day, see very much of it. And there's actually a really, what feels like a really important piece of information in the character list that's included with this book, which is that Relius has many lovers and Talaeus has only one. That is a part of their dynamic. And we don't really know what that means to each of them. Like, because he starts with you love the king, you love your brother. I'm sure your mother loves her brothers as well. It feels like it's it's permission to love these people. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to feel guilty if you still love people who are foolish or who have betrayed you or hurt you. And just because... Ferris still loves Juridius and can recognize that, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that he has to let Juridius back into his life mm-hmm. or trust him. Let's talk about the later revelation. The murder. Yeah, I was rereading this for for today's episode, and I forgot what a huge smack in the face this was reading it the first time. I was like, oh yeah, he killed later. I was like, wait, I forgot how surprising that was when we first found that out. But yeah, that was another like, oh my God moment. This book just drops one bomb after another on you. Yeah. They just keep coming. That Jen killed his man before he had left the boy's house. And this was the precipitating reason for his fight with his father that we hear about in The Thief over why he doesn't want to kill people and be a soldier. And Edith had always known about that. 
So Jen had killed someone before the thief even started. It makes me think about how, do you remember at the end of the thief, uh, he kills someone and then there's the passage where he's reflecting over that action and he wonders, did the man have children? Yeah. You know, where did he live? He wonders about this man's life that he just took away. And you, this scene is so heart-wrenching at the time that partially because you think like, oh, this is the first time he's killed someone and he's a child and he's, yeah. he's his innocence is now gone forever for the first time. So this is just... And now, with this new knowledge, think about his grandfather made him kill later himself because later had deliberately broken Jen's bones. And Jen was sacred to his god, and we all knew it, is what Edith said about that. So later was somehow offending the god Eugenides by going after Jen as a mm -hmm. kid. And that's... Yeah, and so Jen was expected to do this. But it also sounds like later had a history of going after Jen specifically. Kind of like Emtis is the implication I get. And later was twice his age. Yeah, you're and Jen right. Wasn't it even is, a thief. It's another parallel between Jen and Ferris. Yeah. Except in Ferris's case, Ferris has to take this into his own hands because nobody else can. Or will, like Mel Melissa said, he can't and nobody else can. And Jen is forced to, it seems. And Edith begged for Cleon's life with the old thief. Otherwise, Cleon would have died too. And the contrast between killing a man for the first time is supposed to be this very public thing. You do it and then you get a tattoo about it. It's, uh, yeah, that's it's crazy marked age. on your body forever. But Jen, because he is the thief or was m destined to be the thief, like, it's it's clandestine. Yeah. He just went hunting and never came back. And he's, Cleon says after that, we thought a lion got him or a jealous husband, which tells you something else about the Adesian court. Holy shit. Yeah. <sighs> There's an association uh, between this and the glory of battle, right? Like, you're, you're supposed to go to war and kill someone, and then you get a tattoo, and everybody knows that you were brave. But for Eugenides, this was like, it was just him and this guy. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe that that kind of brought home for him... The reality of like how shameful it is to kill another person and just the difference in the ethics of killing someone presumably in battle for self-defense versus yeah who is coming at you just as armed. yeah and then also we get the we get the this adds such an interesting layer to that juxtaposition that we always looked at from the thief of we were given the perspective and the thief of like, okay, you have two options. You can be the thief or you can be a soldier and kill people. And Jen said, you know, I never wanted to be a soldier. I never wanted to kill people. I never wanted anything to do with this business of killing people. The thief seems in the thief to be a very harmless sort of character, yeah. but that's not the way it is at all. I actually don't feel like this was brought up before, but Edith says 
here to Cleon when Cleon's asking for him to get tattoos. Uh, is it wrong to reassure them that they have an Adesian king? Cleon, he is not king of Edis. I am Edis. She said it even as she doubted it was still true. Do you imagine that there is another man born in Edis whom I would accept as high king? Um, no tattooed member of my court over whom I have ruled could ever be high king over me. No Atolian could be high king over Irene, no Sunesian over Sunis. And that's because as thief, she never really ruled over Jen. Like, he was separate. He was yeah. a separate check on her power. And interspersed with all this, there's a lot of charming stuff between, like, Irene and, and Helen and Sophos and Jen in this chapter. Sophos makes fun of him and then he throws a grape at him. <laughs> And Sophos is trying to tease everyone into a lighter mood and says, like, oh, are you afraid you're going to be seen as a, a wine glass warrior on the battlefield? And Jen says, like, yeah, someone named Bunny is going to outshine me. <laughs> and Suna says, well, you can always poison me later. And then it's like, shit, Atolia really poisoned someone. I have to apologize. And then she says, I can show you how. Yeah, she's uh, she's lightening up a little. Just yeah. a, little, a little. What do you think of this little game? of chasing Jen around. Oh my god, I loved it. <laughs> it was so fun. And it's, it seems like the Edesians just came up with this idea to just let everybody's tension out. Yeah. There are no rules, they shouted at the Aetolians. And it's a really, the scene is a really good, such a good overview of Jen's personality. You know. It's the grandiose circus tricks that he loves. He goes over the top of a table when they're blocking the bottom and then can't resist tricking them and goes over the bottom when they're blocking the top and then goes down the same hallway another time and ducks some other way and... My god, said Philologos. No, said Boagus. His god. I was interested at the beginning of this scene, there's an implication that there's a lot of cultural tradition around betting and that type of thing in the Edesian court, because it's uh, the Aetolians, it says, they only partially understood the role of betting in the Edesian court and the nature of their games. Mm. So that's fun that we still get, we get glimpses of the parts of the world that we don't see in huge detail. Yeah. There's a phrase here, the man cackled with embarrassment, which I just think is an <laughs> odd, it's an odd verb to use. <laughs> Ferris, the historian, references some myth saying that he comes out of the water like Adamonia leaving her bath. Like we might say, like Venus rising from the sea. Truth emerging from her well. <laughs> As quiet slowly returned to the palace, Atolia found the king in her bedroom peeling off his wet clothes. Nice. Unkingly, she said. My god, I hope so, said the king. I think it was a really good decision to put this scene in here you know what it mean like this is so lighthearted and fun and you know ferris says maybe in the next chapter or something after like oh like this was the last moment of levity we had for a very long time and then we get into the war and people die it's very childish it's like a bunch of kids at a sleepover yeah and it's like a family thing you know yeah the here are his family these are his cousins running around at a sleepover Late at night, only a few torches lit, playing the same game they've played since they were kids. Mm. Except now you can't throw knives at him. Because <laughs> you do not wing the king. But before the knives were totally fine, 
<laughs> okay. Well, I think that that was a... Uh, that, that's the guy who cackles with embarrassment because he remembers that it's the king. And um, I think that's an Atolian who's like, we could wing him. No, I think that's a cousin. Is it a cousin? Yeah, it says so. It says, the Adesians shouted with approval and joined in the chase after Jen had told Boagas catch me. Oh, you're right. You're so right. One you're 100% them, right. One of them declared he would show the Atolians how it was done and reached for his knife, shouting, first you wing him. Because he forgot that his cousin had become. <laughs> he was just thinking of him as my bright cousin who I would love to knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the very, the very first line of the next chapter is, only a few hours later, the soldiers began mustering on the fields of war. Also, he rose from the water like Adamonia leaving her bath. Is um, It's a feminine image. Yes. It feels like this chase game is the characters sort of play acting at the kind of stakes that they are about to be in for real. Mm. And when I think about, like how at the beginning of this book they go to see a play and then when they do the trial cleon is is like an actor in a in a bad play and that play at the beginning is about themselves yeah and and this sort of pre-mythologizing of what's going on is very interesting it's interesting you bring up the idea of something as as preparation for war because that's what all of their childhood games would have been anyway is what we hear about and in this type of society you know like that's what all of their play fighting with swords would have been about is to gain sword skills and these fighting games were to gain speed that you're going to use on a battlefield winging your cousins with a knife is practice for killing real people with knives that constant moving target of what is play and what is real which you see a lot in like these these affectionate interactions between the monarchs like they're always joking about how they could shoot people or kill each other mm-hmm. and an observer is sort of unsure of what is real or not and there's a sense of like they're making these sorts of jokes and and kind of play acting this kind of dynamic as a way to like work through real fear because real or fake it's all war you know like real or practice it's all violence joke or not joke it's turtles all the way down and this is just the world that they're immersed in and they have no there's no way out of this you know yeah this is the society that they're in and jen is like he's he's stepping in and out of his role as king which we're, of course, going to see more of later. When he says, okay, you want me to be the thief? I'll show you the thief. But then he becomes someone else, right? Oh, that's getting ahead of ourselves. Oh, I'm remembering when uh, Return of the Thief came out. People made all these Return of the Thief memes. And there was one where Nehuzer says, okay, stop being king. And Jen says, okay, I'm just a thief now. And then it's the meme where someone says, but that's worse. You get <laughs> that that's worse, right? <laughs> That's chapter five. Next time, we march to war. Send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. 
Chime in at atelier.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Thank you for listening. This has been an amateur embroidered production. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available. 